very excited. Um, I'm a virgin speaker. I've never done this before, so I'm losing my V card at the speaker club today. Um, but I want to go ahead and get started, so I'm going to pray real quick, and we're going to jump right in. Cool? Lord, I worship you this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to come and be a messenger of your word. I ask that you will bless me, that you will uh, let me tell your word accurately um, to how it is written, and that someone will receive something out of what I've got to say. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So we're starting with the story of Jericho. Most of you, probably all of you, have heard this story before. The story of Joshua and how he took all the Israelites around the city of Jericho, and they marched around until the walls fell. It's that story. Um, well, I actually, believe it or not, was introduced to this story over a song that some of you might have sung in Sunday school. But to me, it was a human video song in, um, in, my, in my youth group back home. And I'm sure you know it, but it's like, you know, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Oh, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came tumbling down. You know, that one? And so that was how I got introduced to the story. But after that, I've heard it, obviously, numerous times from that point, And I want to delve deep into the story, even though you've heard it, enhance it a little bit for you, and, uh, and, and paint the picture again. So here's what happened in the story. So Moses dies, Joshua comes and commands leadership over all the Israelites, the nation, and the army. And God tells him that you're going to have to go devote cities to me, which they've been doing for years now. And what happens when they devote cities is they go in and they slaughter every living thing in a city and then burn it to the ground. It's pretty incredible. And so they, they, he tells him that Jericho is going to be one of these cities that you're going to do this to. And so him being the high-capacity leader that he is, decides that he's going to take two spies, and he's going to send them into Jericho, and they're going to find out a strategic way for them to come in and burn the city to the ground. And so these two spies, they go to the city of Jericho, somehow finding a way in, and when they get there, they find Rahab the prostitute, which is this lady who lives in Jericho. They walk into her house, she invites them in, not to do anything, but just hide them. I know she's a prostitute, but she didn't want to do anything like that. So she takes them into their house, and after they're there, the guards come, and they're like, hey, I know that you've hidden some Israelite spies, and if you don't give us these spies, then we're going to kill you. And she's like, whoa, spies, I don't know what you're talking about. And she just lies straight to their face, and she's like, I don't, I don't have any spies. I'm not smuggling anybody, but I did see them. They came by, but then they left, and, and you know, they went outside the city gates. So if you go now before the gates close, then you could probably catch up to them. You could, you could, you could find them. And the retards believe her. They go off. They go outside the city gates, and they go after them. And after they leave, the gates close to Jericho, and she's safe. So she goes right up the stairs, walks up to the roof where she's hiding the Israelite spies. And she says this. I want to read it right here. She says this. Um, it's the, um, the second paragraph on your Rescue by Grace notes. And it says this. She said, Ah, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. So what she does in that last sentence right there is she reaffirms her personal belief 
that God, the one true God, has given them the land, the Israelites the land. So she's reaffirming that she believes this now. And she says that you've placed fear in our hearts because of what you've done. And I want to go back right here. She says this, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. Now understand, the highest form of technology back then was probably the wheel. That's the best they've got. Not an iPhone and internet capabilities for communication. So for some prostitute in Jericho to hear about a people who have devoted cities and been killing people and the Red Sea separated and that they completely destroyed these two kings, that's really impressive. People have been talking about the Israelites. So they're very famous for what they've been doing. And for her to be able to claim what she knows, that means the entire city of Jericho is well aware that the Israelites are going to come and take it over. So at this point, fast forward the story, um, and she, oh, no, right here. Then she continues on saying this. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that I will show, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She begins to plead on her family's behalf and say, will you save all of us, everybody in, in my family that I know. And they respond with this. They say, our lives for your lives. And they, knew, they recognize that because she kept them from the, from the guards who, she had two options. She could just hand them over. They could be killed. She might be viewed as a hero among Jericho because she technically saved the city from these spies. Or she could do what she did, which was lie to the guards. They can go up to, to uh, the spies and confess that their God was who it was. So she pleads on their family, and they say, our lives for your lives. You did what you did for us. You showed us kindness, so we'll do the same to you. She, they hand them a, a red flag to, to Rahab the prostitute. She hand, they, they hand her a flag, and they say, hang this outside your window so when we come in and we destroy this city and burn it to the ground, that we'll know which, city, which, which house to save. You can put anybody you want in here, your family, whoever. Just put them in here because everybody else is going to die except anybody in this house, and this flag is how we're going to know it. So then they come out of the city. And the spies, they go back to Joshua. They tell him what they know. And fast forward the story, Joshua and all of his Israelites cross the Jordan, get up to the city. It's a few days later, and they begin doing the famous thing that we know, which is where your Sunday school story comes in. As Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. So this thing comes in right here, and, um, and they begin walking around the city. And God tells Joshua, you're going to need to walk around the city. I want you to march one time a day for six days, and on the seventh day... I want you to march six times, and on the last one, when the trumpets blow, when the trumpets blow on that seventh time, I want everybody in the Israelites to shout as loud as they can, and the walls are going to fall. And that's exactly what happens. They do that, and all the walls come down. There's two theories for how that happened. There might be multiple, but there's two that I want to talk about. That they actually, the marching of their feet when they were marching around the, the city walls actually undermined the foundation of Jericho, causing the, 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 the walls to come down. Secondly, is that their voice, the vibrations from it were so loud that it brought all of the walls down. Just really two cool points I saw. Okay, and so um, they do this and they take over the city and they burn everything in it. It's your third paragraph. And it says, then they burn the whole city and everything in it. Um, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid them, hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Let's read that last part again. 
and she lives among the Israelites to this day. This is key because the author of Joshua knows that at the point when they captured and took over Jericho, after that to the point before Rahab died, that she inherited everything that the Israelites did. She lived among them. So because she fell before these, these spies and said, I confess that your God is the one true God who does everything that you say. I've seen the miracles and I've heard about them. Because she did that, she's now almost married in to the Israelites. And she inherits all of the promised land that they got. Okay, So this is really cool because she does that. And she's been, she's been labeled as, as this prostitute for so long. But now that she's accepted this, God completely transforms her life. She inherits the promised land. This guy named Saman comes on and decides to marry her. So Saman and Rahab the prostitute get married. They then have Boaz, who marries Ruth. And Boaz and Ruth are the great-grandparents to King David. King David is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. What I'm saying is that this prostitute from some city did a very big thing. She was labeled as a prostitute her entire life. Obviously, they felt the need to put that in the scriptures. They say Rahab the prostitute, and I tried to mimic that when I was telling the story. Every time it's mentioned almost, it's Rahab the prostitute, and she's been stuck with this label her entire life until the moment that she falls before God and says, I do believe that you are who you say you are. She then inherits everything that he has for her in the promised land, and, and she is the lineage, part of the lineage of Jesus Christ, some prostitute. Second story I want to tell comes from John chapter 4. It's the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is going through Samaria, and he comes to this city, Sychar, and he's, he's, he's weary, and he needs rest, and he's thirsty. And so he sits down by this well when all of a sudden, sudden this woman comes up. And this woman comes up, and it's almost out of the blue because women at that time, in, back in this time, they all congregated at the well together. They all went at one time. So for her to even come up almost seems out of character because she should naturally be going with the women, yet she's by herself. So conversation begins to roll, and, and he says um, that I can give you living water and you'll never thirst again. And she starts to believe it and stuff, and so she, he's like, go get your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he goes, oh, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And so then he calls her out. This part right here, now we don't know this woman's name, and it never says that she was a prostitute or anything of the above, but we can have an educated guess as to how she was viewed, how she was labeled in society at this time. She was probably very sleazy, um, easy, uncommitted, unfaithful. You should never probably have five husbands that you go through, and then the one that you're with now is not your husband. So we can inform, we can have guesses about everything that this woman could be that she could have been labeled at this time period. She then goes and, and believes what he has to say and goes to the city and says that this man told me everything about me and he was right. He's the Messiah. And people start catching on in the town and the city of what she has to say. And she was known for that after that point. The common denominator between Rahab the prostitute and this lady is that they both had labels their entire lives. They were labeled as something, and it carried a negative connotation. This label brought them to the point where they had a moment where they could either do one of two things. Rahab had the choice to take the spies to the guards, hand them over, and have the Israelites all killed, or at least the story would have been a little different. 
But instead, she falls before God and recognizes who he is, causing her label to change forever. The same thing happens with the Samaritan woman at the well. Now, like I said, we don't know her label, but we know that after the point that she, she recognizes that Jesus is Lord, that she changes how she lives from that moment on, and it changes who she was within that city. And I believe that that could be true for all of us in here, and I think that every one of us have some kind of label that we're viewed by. And what that means is that everyone in this room has probably made a judgment call of who you are. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean they've watched you. They've noticed characteristics about you. They notice who you are, how you've acted, what you've done, that whole thing. And there's probably some label attached to it. There's three types of people that I believe are in here right now. The first person, person number one, this is your first blank. This person currently has a label. Currently has a label. And what I mean by that is some of you might have received this label when you were just a child and your mom might have spoken it over you and just said, oh, he's just, he's a rebellious kid. He'll never change. He's just always doing what I don't want him to do. Some of you might have received this label that you feel is attached to you when you were in junior high and they said, you know, is there, is there something different about him? Like, you know, is, could he be gay? And then all of a sudden, this, you, you feel this label that every time your name's brought up, it's like the word homosexual follows it. And so some of you could be in the place to, that maybe you, not ha- you might not have those two stories, but your label has carried you to the point where today you are the porn addict. You are labeled as the flirt. You might even think that you labeled yourself this and you think that everybody else sees you as the homosexual You might even label yourself as the closet smoker or the girl who can't go a week without a boyfriend or vice versa. Person number two, this person thinks that they can replace their old label with a new label. This is like a transition place for you if you have this. And this means that when you came into OSL, this person, when they came into OSL, they thought that by coming here, it would change their label. That simply by moving away from home, that it would change who they were. And chances are, you might have even came in and think, oh, I could do things really spiritual because nobody knows who I am. Nobody's seen me before. They've never seen my face, so I can just completely start over. And then so you're like, I'm gonna be the most awesome worship leader in the world, and that's what everybody's gonna see. Or you can just call me the next Scott Wilson. I'm such a good speaker. Or, or hey, just call me the next Shane Bernard. That's who I am. And so you begin to try to replace the label that you've got with some other kind of label. You'll just kind of mull over the one that you already had and put, I don't know, little Timmy. How about that? I'm little Timmy now. And so the problem, oh, shoot. That was not planned. Sorry, Bible. I need it. problem with this person, person number two, is that you think this label should stick better than the last one, but you still have residue from the old label that's still coming through. So both of them are kind of intermingling together, and people might even be picking up that you're the person who you said you're not, but you're labeled as back at home. But you're trying to be something else. You're trying to replace the label that you've had for such a long time with a new label, and it's just not working. And what I've found is you can move 10 hours away. I'm 10 hours away from home right now, four states. 
You can move as far away as you want to a Christian university, wherever you want to go, and it's never going to change the label that you carried because you're the same person that you were that you, when you were back home. This brings us to person number three. Person number three, this person acknowledges, no, submits their label to the grace of God. This person is who we all strive to be. This is the person who acknowledges that they once had a label and that now they have, due to the grace of God, they have changed it. They were the rebellious kid. Yeah, they were the porn addict. They were the flirt. They were the girl or boy who couldn't go a week without a boyfriend or girlfriend. But thanks to the grace of God, the incomprehensible grace of God, they have been rescued out of this label. They've been rescued through his grace. And this person is who we all strive to be. But I want, before you think about this person, I hate to say this, but I really don't think there's many of us in here who are in the third category. Don't be offended, I'm just saying, please consider person one and two before you start thinking about person number three. Because if you miss that you're person number one or two, then you can miss the grace of God today that could rescue you from that. This person has received their God-given label and they're totally comfortable with it. They act out at it. You might know someone like this. You know that person that always, you just, they know Jesus and they're, they're acting out in the label that he's given them. The quote below all these three people says this. You will never live another second without God's grace. I have to tell you this, and it happened, it happened Monday night. We were internship and Shane Bernard told us that. And it totally changed my life. Because he said, you will never live another second without God's grace. And that doesn't mean that from this point on you're going to be doing things more right than you always have been. It's a paradigm shift in thinking that the grace of God only comes at certain times. No, no, no. The grace of God always exists. It is currently on you. It has always been on you. And it will always continue to be over your life. The grace of God is continuing to live over you with every second that you live. So for the rest of your life, you will never live another second without God's grace. Not because of anything you've done, simply because it exists for you every second of every day. The third person didn't try to get rid of their label or didn't seek to get a new one. They just submitted. They just submitted to God in the process that he took them on, which caused them to receive their God-given label. This is key. This is, like I said, this is the person that we want to be. These three people, like I said, I think are in here. And I want to tell you one thing. I have a video that I want to show you. Um, somebody can go up there and twinkle around if you want. Um, but there's, there's, there's this video that I want to show you. And some of you have probably seen it. And it's, it's at the very end of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And it's in The Return of the King. And it's as... as Frodo is at the end of his road, and he feels like he just can't go any farther. Sam, his best friend throughout this entire time, comes and, and helps him along and carries him up this mountain after he's been carrying this label for his whole life. Play the video. Check it out. We'll talk about it in a minute.
Do you remember the Shahid, Mr. Furlong? It'll be spring soon. The orchards will be in blossom. And the birds will be nesting in the hazel thicket. And they'll be sowing the summer barley in the lower fields. And eating the first of the strawberries with cream. Do you remember the taste of strawberries? Sam, I can't recall the taste of food. Not the sound of water. Touch of grass. Naked in the dark. There's, there's nothing, no veil between me and the wheel of fire. Eyes. Then let us be rid of it. Once and for all. Come on, Mr. Frodo. I can't carry it for you. But I can carry you. Come on! I just get full of emotion. I just, you just want to be like, yeah, that's it, you know? It just, mm. Because see, here's what happens. Frodo, through the whole series, has been labeled the ring bearer. That's what he's known by. That's his, that is what he, he's been doing. And, at, and, and this ring symbolizes temptation. He's been carrying temptation for man up to this journey to get rid of the thing. And at the very end of his rope, when he doesn't have anywhere else to go, you can see him and he says, I don't remember the taste of water. I don't remember the taste of food. He doesn't remember the taste of anything. And he's sitting there at the lowest of his lows. And Samwise Gamgee, man, his best friend, he comes up to him. And my favorite line in the whole thing is, I can't carry it, but I can carry you. And there's people in my life that I look at. And I think about those people. And I go, man, I would die for those people. I would carry them. I would, I would literally, I would carry them to the foot of Jesus because I can't carry their issue for them. I can never do that. But man, I would walk with them. I would hold their hand as brothers and walk them to the foot of Jesus. And as I'm saying this, I would like to think that you probably have somebody in your mind that you would do that for too. And if you didn't, you do now. And my... My theory is that if I have somebody I would do that for, and you have somebody that you would do that for, that someone in this world would do that for you. Someone in this world will walk hand in hand with you to the foot of Jesus. You're never alone, I swear. They can't carry the issue for you, but they can carry you all the way there. That's so encouraging to me to know that, that there's people in my life that I really believe that would do that for me when I'm filled with this label that everyone has, has given me my entire life, that at the point where I just don't know how to get rid of it anymore, someone can be there to carry me and help me along. Rahab the prostitute, that's what she was known as. 
her whole life. Like I said, the writer felt that, that was so important that he had to put it in there. Every time Rahab's mentioned, it says the prostitute. That changed for her. That was not her destined label. And it changed after the moment that she decided, I'm going to follow God. She inherited the promised land. She was married into the Israelite family, lived forever with him. She could have died that day they invaded Jericho, but she didn't. She decided to follow God. She was rescued by God's grace. And the exact same thing happened with the Samaritan woman. Sure, sure, she was known for five husbands, and the one she was with wasn't her husband. That connotates many negative images. But at the end of the day, and at the end of that passage, she recognized that Jesus was Lord, and the town was changed because of her. I think there's a lot of one and two people in here today. You could be three. Please consider one and two, because I don't want you to miss it if you are. He can rescue you today, I promise. I really believe that. So there's people in your life that are going to help you through this thing. And there might even be somebody that's sitting beside you that might help you down here if you need it. But I just want to know, would everybody stand? I just want to know that if you feel like you've been labeled something your whole life, maybe you're person number one, and you say, I do currently have a label on my life. It's sitting with me back at home, and it's made its way into OSL, and man, it hasn't changed. You and God have the power to change that right now. Maybe you're person number two, and you say, I've been trying to replace the label that I had with a new one, and it just isn't working, and they're getting mixed up. This one's not sticking. The old one's still there. It's just a mess. I encourage you. It's open for you today. I believe he's going to rescue you by his grace. So if that's you, just come on down. Everybody's looking around. Everybody's watching. Make the waltz. What have you got to lose?